It's, it's, it's time to talk that talk, and we talk it like no one else. This is the stinking truth. Now, here's your host, Mark Schlereth. Welcome to the Stinking Truth Podcast. Mark Schlereth alongside Mike Evans. Um, big week. Week 18 coming along. Week 17. Um, I, we'll, we'll get into the picks later and the ass whooping that you're taking right now. But, you know, you got a chance. You still got a chance, but we'll get into that later in the podcast. Kind of a Hail Mary. Yeah. How are you doing? You got, you I'm do. good. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to Happy you. Happy New Year to all of our uh, great fans. Yeah. We're down to the final week of the regular season. Right. Some high stakes games. Did you ever think we'd be talking about a scenario in which the Dallas Cowboys would go into the final week, win, and they win the NFC East? Um. Yeah, I could. I, I mean, I really? could have seen that. Well, yeah, because you knew Philly was going to be good, right? Yeah, or you thought Philly was going to be good at right. the beginning of the season. Although, right now, I've seen since week thirteen, I think their defense is ranked thirty first, thirty first, thirty first, like on a bunch of different categories. I don't know exactly what they are, but um, but you thought you assumed that that Philly was going to be good. I think a lot of us felt like the Giants were going to fall off. Like you know what was going to. Well, happen. I'm not talking about the mid- I'm mm. not talking about the beginning of the season. I'm talking about the way that the season has played out, did you think that there would be a, a, that window of opportunity for Dallas? That Philadelphia would would oh. crumble so much that Dallas would be in this position controlling yeah, okay. their own well, fate? Yeah, saying that, probably not. Yeah. Probably did not think that that would be the scenario moving forward, that, that Philly was going to struggle so much here in the second half of the season and they would just kind of crumble and fall apart. Um, a lot of talk about Philly. What's going on with Philly? You know, I've, I've had a lot of people ask me about Philly. Obviously, coordinators, you lose both your coordinators. Like, that's going to take its toll on your your offense and your defense, which it has. They've gone from Sean Desai to Matt Patricia calling plays um, offensively. And I think this is one of the big things that just resonates with me in regards to Philly offensively. They lost Shane Steichen. And Shane Steichen became the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, who are fighting for a playoff berth. And one of the things, when I talk to people around the league, I've talked to coaches about Shane Steichen, I've talked to players like Justin Herbert and several other players about Shane Steichen. Even Gardner Minshew, I talked to him the other day about Shane Steichen. And they've all said essentially the same thing. He has a way about him, a way of making it simple for the quarterback. If they give us this, this is where I want you to go with the football. Or, you know, Shane Steichen said, man, I don't worry about sometimes, you know, if we're a pure progression kind of read, I don't worry about, hey, is it cover three or is it cover four or is it, you know, is it quarter, quarter, half, or is it, you know, cover one? I say pure progression. If number one is open, throw it. Number two, throw it. Number three, throw it. If he's not, if he's covered, you work through your pure progression on that side. And – you know, almost eliminates the quarterback going, what coverage are they in and how many things do I have to absorb and, and kind of go through? And he's just got a way of making it simple for that quarterback to read it out and get it to the right guy. And so you lose that, you know, and you and you start to convolute some things. I, I think it, it makes offense, it, it makes it more difficult than it should be. But y- wouldn't you feel that effect at the beginning of the season? Wouldn't it be more pronounced then? They started ten and one. Yeah, they, they seem to make the adjustment just right. fine. They well, they started ten and one, but people would tell you it doesn't look the same. It's not, and I don't like. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the the story is. There's there's you know coming out of Philadelphia now. 
that hey, the it's the locker room is fractured and AJ Brown. I don't ever buy into any of that garbage, right? I mean, I don't, I don't. Why not? I just don't. I just don't buy into, you know, if you have a riff on the sideline with somebody or if you get in a, an argument, it doesn't mean your locker room is fractured. It means you you were passionate at the moment and and things boiled over a little bit. So I don't buy into all that all that you know hype that hyperbole. I. Remember one time it was there's a schism in the locker. I remember that word coming out going on. What the hell is a schism? I don't, <laughs> you know, but you know, I, I just don't necessarily That's, buy. It's a great word. Yeah, I don't necessarily buy into all that hype, uh, all that garbage. But they certainly are not playing. They're certainly not playing well, playing together, playing confidently. Um, all those things. All those things are a problem. So where where are you at with Dallas though? After a game in which Mike McCarthy just and you know Packer fan was sitting back and going, seen this before, some really head-scratching clock management that really only got bailed out by Detroit's decision-making or the officials, and we'll get to that in a yeah. minute. But I don't know. How how confident can you feel about the Cowboys after they nearly coughed that one up? Well, I don't think very. I mean, obviously, Detroit's a very good team. Detroit's an excellent team. But, you know, you're at home. Um, you, 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 you got dominated in my mind, you know, in the run game by a defense that was questionable going in and they, they dominated you up front and that's where you're supposed to win and you're supposed to be able to run the ball. They weren't able to do that. Now that notwithstanding CD lamb just went crazy and they've got nobody on the outside and, and maybe that's part of it. You know, you don't really have anybody on the outside that can, they can, harness him and so you decide to go that direction with your with your game plan but you know for all intents and purposes you should have lost that game yep. and um and you know then Dan Campbell I mean obviously like I get it once and I even get it a second time but at some point don't you got to kick the extra point and play for overtime there's it's a di- fine line between aggressiveness and stupidity Right, and, and he, he crossed that line. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And Dan, and I yeah. love Dan. You I know, know you that. do. I know, I, know I do too. Love, Who does I love Dan, but, but yeah, that, at some point. And, and you know, there, here's the thing about here's the thing about like two point conversion plays. I mean, how many how many two point conversion plays do you think a team has in on any given Sunday that you've worked on? How many times do you think you work two minute? I'm not two minute. Um, two point conversion. Excuse me. Two-point conversion plays. How many times do you think you practice two-point conversion plays during the week? I don't know. handful of reps? You, you get essentially probably two reps at two-point conversion, and they're on Friday, right. which oftentimes is, is kind of your jog-through day. Mm-hmm. So, like, you don't work on Wednesdays, first and 10, and, you know, in first and 10 base situations. Thursday is, you know, nickel situations, first and 10 repeat, the stuff that you're going to run for sure, and then your short yardage stuff. And then Fridays, you work in goal line and a couple of of two-point conversion plays. So you go into any game plan with one two-point conversion play that you really like, and then maybe another. Now, remember Dallas called the timeout, and they were motioning their tight end, Sam Laporta, back and forth, and they were going to run him out there, and boom, timeout called. So... You basically blew that one, right? Like that one got blown, and so you can't go back to that because they mm-hmm. they took what they call a Polaroid timeout. 
the Polaroid timeout is so, hey, let me see what you're in. Let me see what your personnel group is. Let me see what you're ending, you know, where you start and, and, and where you were going to end the formation. All right, we got a picture, picture of what you were trying to do. So now they have to change it. Well, they change it to their two-point conversion play, um, which was the Decker in the back of the end zone. And they convert it, and then, you know, the whole debacle goes down with saying that Decker didn't report whether he did or he didn't, you know. And Walk me, walk us all through that, because yeah. I'm sure you, have you, were you ever a reporting guy? Yeah, I was. Yeah. I was. And and the one thing, I mean, I know there's some deception involved. That's why you put Skipper out there, number 70, and Decker went out to report as well. And so you're trying to create some deception because – 70 comes in and reports all the time. They run some unbalanced line formations. They run some extra offensive line in the game formations. They do that on occasion, right? And so the team is seeing, you know, the team is seeing 70 Dan Skipper come in there and report uh, on film. They've seen that a handful, half a dozen times. So I think there was some deception involved. And Dan Campbell said, hey, we did it in the 90-minute, the pregame meeting with the officials. Hey, be on the lookout for this. We'll do this, you know. And then we'll line up 68 on the end of line of scrimmage with nobody covering him, so he'll be eligible. Like, this is something we're going to do. But when you go in to report as an eligible receiver, as an offensive lineman, you got to walk up to that official. you got to catch eye contact with that official. And then you've got to get a response from that official. So it's not good enough to go, hey, 69 reporting, and then run off to the mm -hmm. edge, right? you got to get an acknowledgement. I've got to get an acknowledgement. Right. So, hey, 69, 69 reporting. Got, all right, got you, 69. Right. Your reporting is eligible. Gotcha. You can't come up on, on the side, even if you're in, in the guy's face, and the other guy's coming in, that you can't go, like, hey, 68 reporting, and then walk away. I've got to get acknowledgement. I've got to get the head nod. I've got to get the re – mm -hmm. like, i got to get the – and I understand there's a fine line between doing that and be and still being deceptive. Um, and I don't know if the officials just screwed it up. It seems like they they did because they they got docked. They're not gonna they're not gonna officiate the playoffs. But um, you know that's I think it's Brad Allen's crew, right? Yeah. But I, I just take it from my perspective as a guy who's reported. Man, I wanted that confirmation. I mean, I had to have confirmation from a coaching standing standpoint. I have to have confirmation from the – he's got to acknowledge me and nod and basically repeat after me. I am eligible. Yes, I got you. You are eligible. And I didn't see that length of conversation or that acknowledge. I didn't see that on whatever the replays they showed us were. So, like, that would be one that I would look at and say, man, that's, that's kind of your responsibility. Do you get the sense – as as you as you go call games every week for Fox, because mm -hmm. uh, whether it's Mike McCarthy and the way that he handled the clock management at the end, uh, Dan Campbell not once, not twice, three uh -huh. times, you know, willing to go for the two point conversion. Do you think analytics has really kind of messed with a lot of these coaches' heads that they have have sort of fallen out of their their rhythm, right. their their mojo, their their routine when it comes to how to manage a game, and we're seeing a lot of curious decisions. Is 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 the analytics stuff becoming so pervasive in the game that it's kind of really screwing with some of these coaches' heads and clock management and game management? Um, yeah, I would say, I would say, you know, you talk to 
coaches about analytics. And most coaches are very, um, you know, they're very, hey, man, I meet with the analytics department every every week. We use the analytics, um, you know, to, to self-scout and to look at certain situations. Um, but again, you have to have, you've got to be able to go with some of your gut on the analytics stuff, if, if that makes sense, right? You've got to you'd be able to take it into consideration, but you also have to coach your football team. And then... A lot of the coaches I talk to, I, you know, scoff to some degree at the analytics aspect of it. They know that they, they know there's some value there, but they also know that there's some bullshit there. And it's trying to parse that out and figure out exactly, you know, what's important and what's not important. And you can get involved in in the analytics to a degree where you 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 suspend common sense mm-hmm. and what's going on in the game. And I think that's where it's I think that's where it's really hard because you know I see it on on some of the broadcasts. Well the analytics says go for it here, right? And you know I always joke around but like what if you what if you struggled blocking them all day long? Like what if you you know what if you've got a running back that is a little bit hobbled? What if you like like what is what does your gut say? What's the situation of the game? What if you go for it and you don't get it? How does that affect the momentum mm-hmm. for the other team? Like all those things, I think are important. And you know, again, this the game clock goes, and you got to make those decisions on a snap. And um, and I think if you if you basically rely on analytics as an excuse, well, the analytics said go for it here. Well, then. You know, you're making a mistake. I, 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 it's, I think it's hard. I think it, it really is. I think it's a hard thing. Um, I just err on the side of, man, I want points. I want points early. So, I mean, I don't want to end a drive in the first quarter with a fourth down and one attempt from my own six that I don't make. And I just walked away from three points. Yeah. Because three points is important at that mm-hmm. point in the game. And by the way, now I've just taken this drive all the way down, and I've given them the energy and momentum by, hey, they stopped us. There's a certain amount of momentum that they stopped us in the red zone. But when we walk away with three points, we still effectively completed one of our goals, which is on every goal chart, one drive of 60-plus yards for a score, not a touchdown, a score. So if you put something together that's 60 yards long, you should reward it with three points. If you can't get, if you, you know, if you're, if you're not in a position to score. Yeah. It just seems to me like field goals are now being looked upon as like, ugh, you know, we had to settle for a field goal better to better to go for the touchdown. Right. But I, then on, on the flip side, I see so many games that are decided by yeah. one score. Hey, you know, maybe kicking the field goal might not be uh, the worst thing. We're talking yeah. about the idea of Dallas kind of finding themselves in a surprise pleasant surprise position of being able to play for the division. How about Buffalo? You know, the, the the way they were just a few weeks ago, you and I were sitting in these chairs and you were talking about Buffalo, like something feels off with Buffalo. And yet here they are with a chance right. to win the division. Although they also got to be careful because if they lose and things go a certain way, they could miss the playoffs entirely. But I mean, here they are with a position, a, mm. a chance to beat Miami and win the division. 
Where'd that come from? Yeah. Well, what what's changed? Yeah. What is what has changed? And I will tell you philosophically, um, they have made a serious change on the offensive side of the football. And that change was we're gonna take our quarterback off the high dive. Go back and look at how this game has been called differently on their win streak. When, you know, when all of a sudden they were a five hundred football team or whatever it was. Go back and look at the number of carries their running backs got, even when things weren't going great from a carrying for a yards per carry standpoint, and the number of attempts. Josh Josh Allen went from thirty five to forty five attempts a game to all of a sudden where he's at twenty five to thirty attempts per game in the last like five or six weeks. I mean, they have completely going back to run the football, set some play action stuff off, and let's not put our quarterback in a drop back phase 45 times because he's going to throw it into a window that he probably shouldn't throw it into. And you want to look at the difference. And I always say this, man, I don't look so much at a yards per carry, although yards per carry are nice. I look at attempts, man. I want attempts. I want to wear down a defense. I want to beat down a defense. And even if you're getting two yards of carry, Mike, you know what that does, those attempts do to your play-action game? They dramatically increase the space you get in the passing game because it affects the guys that have to defend the run. It affects the underneath coverage, the, the second level of your coverage. It affects them. So even if you're not getting a yards per carry, a great yard, let's say you're sitting at three yards of carry and it's not very good, or most most coordinators throw their hat in the air and go, just screw it, we can't run the ball. What that does for your play-action game is, I mean, it it's immense what it does. And so you have to understand the value. Great coaches understand the value of a two-yard or three-yard run. Bad coaches that just want to get promoted to head coaches or just want to, you know, rely on their quarterback whispering skills. Bad coaches look at those two-yard runs and say, screw it, like we're not going to win. We're not going to score enough points. We're, our run game isn't working today. I will, I'll throw this in, I'll throw this away. And, you know, interesting, uh, and I'm not going to mention the coach I, I was talking to, but I had this conversation with the coach earlier in the season just about the value of the run game. And um, and it's a young coordinator and the value of the run game. And and essentially, we were just having a philosophical discussion about running the football. And I said, it's, I said to this particular coach, I go, it's more important to know that you can do one thing well. And then you can build off that one thing. But just my, my advice was pare down the menu. And find one thing that you can run against everything. So no matter what defense you get, and no matter what the look is, you know you can execute it. So they can shift and they can move around and they can give you different looks and they can rotate a weak safety down or rotate a strong safety down, but you can run it against this look and then build off of that. And it's funny because that coach reached out to me about two weeks ago and said, Dude, it's dramatically changed. Like my menu, I still struggle with. My menu is not as thick as it used to be, right? I don't have as many plays, but it's dramatically changed 
our offense and our quarterback is playing so much better now. To back up your point uh, with Buffalo, uh, early in the season, Josh Allen was routinely attempting over 40 passes, sure. even 50 passes in a game. But in this this stretch in which they've won four in a row in five of their last six, his pass totals in their wins, okay, pass attempt in their five wins over the last uh, six weeks, 32, 42, uh, 15, 21, and 30. Yeah. And then if you look at, at James Cook's uh, run attempts the last three games, um, 25, 20, and 16. Yeah. So you're seeing that switch, less over-reliance on Josh Allen, and right. spread it out a little and, bit more. And I said this, I said this, and, and you know, I, I stole this term from Sean Payton, but taking your quarterback off the high dive. Yeah, that's a great term. Right? I love it. Like, when you sit up there, like, it's more than just, I got to be in control of, like, I got I to gotta throw the ball. It's more than that. It's, I've got to set our offense, set the formation, manage the personnel, then create the motions and the shifts, make sure everybody's on the right, doing the right thing, adjust the back for protection. I've got to call the protection. I've got to remike the protection in case I need to, to change the protection, right? Or I might need to cheat the protection. So if we got a turn weak and we're going to the will linebacker and I see the will linebacker with some depth and they've got a slot corner, right, that's, that's in a tight press and I see, you know, I see somebody over the top. Maybe it's that will linebacker that moves over. Maybe a safety goes over the top. Now I have to maybe redirect the protection to say, hey, man, let's not slide to the will linebacker. Let's slide over there to the slot guy and take him off so I don't have to throw hot off of that because they're going to take that that will linebacker and run him underneath and then take that slant route away from me, right? So you got to think about all these things. Then you got to snap the ball and you got to execute it. Then all of a sudden I get into let's let's run the ball with a little more efficiency and let's have some some call it and run it run plays, some tank plays. So this play is good against everything, regardless of um, regardless of its you know a, a strong rotation or a weak rotation. We can run it against anything. So let's just call it and run it. Now my quarterback, you know what he doesn't have to do? Think, mm-hmm. right? Take a play off of him mentally, and I think that's I think I mean I talk to everybody, every offensive coordinator I've talked to has talked to me about the importance of breather plays. Just take it off my quarterback's plate maybe 10, 12, 15 times a game. And what they've done is they've given him a breather from the mental gymnastics and the hoops that he's got to constantly jump through. Well, speaking of a team that needs to uh, mentally reset quickly, the Miami Dolphins. Mm -hmm. They play Buffalo with the division on the line, coming off a game in which they give a 56 to Baltimore. And uh, it's a harsh word. I know you players and former players hate to – Talk right. about this word, but I don't care. I'll say it. Miami just feels like a fraud to me. Mm-hmm. There's something fraudulent about the Dolphins. Yeah, they. I mean, they gave up what they. Baltimore hung 56 on them. Yep. Yeah, not not good, Mike. I mean, obviously it's not good. Now Baltimore's a really good football team, really good football team. Um, physical, they can run the ball. Um, but there's no excuse for that. No. And you know, one thing about Miami is they've been really good, you know, from a physical physicality standpoint, they've run the ball. Well, they've attacked the edges of the perimeter of a, of a defense. 
Um, I thought defensively they had shut down the run. They had played they had played physical football. That like I've got this theory. I used to have this theory about the Chargers back in their San Diego days. And I think this theory applies to Miami. And and this really doesn't have anything to do with football. It has more to do with mindset. So when you're a player and you play here in Denver or you play in New England or you play in Baltimore or you play in Pittsburgh or Green Bay or Chicago or, you know, Seattle or any of these these places, right? When things aren't going well and it's December and the coaches are grinding on your ass and everybody's hard on you and, and you didn't play very well and the media's on your butt and, you know, and and things just aren't good. You walk out and you're miserable. And then you walk out of the facility at night and, and it's the sun's going down, right? And it's, it's cold and it's gray and you're going to run home and it's going to be dark by the time you get home. And it's just, it's like, it's miserable. And the only thing that cures that misery is winning. That's it. That's all you got to hang your hat on because it's going to be cold and it's going to be dreary Mm -hmm. and it's going to be miserable and the coach is going to be on your ass. So the only thing that cures it is winning. You have that same exact scenario and you're in San Diego or Miami. You walk out of the facility, there's bright sunshine. You're going, let's go down to the beach and have a cocktail. (laughs) Like, no big deal. Life's good. Like, I've always felt like there's just a hard, like a hard place to win. I tell you, well, let me tell you, we're we're playing a Super Bowl in Miami. Yeah, yeah, right. And um, and again, I won't mention any names, but this is funny. So we have whatever we have Tuesday night off or Monday night off, whatever it was. And um, you know, and everybody went out to dinner, you know, and da 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 da. And um, we had an offensive line dinner. It was awesome at Joe Stone Crab, you know, and. We read the the uh, what we called the sacred scriptures. Um, those were things my offensive line coach used to say that were just outrageous, like not for public consumption. Uh-huh. Like it's just ridiculous stuff that he used to say all the time. That you know it was just funny. It was it was fun. It was lighthearted. And um, so we come to practice. We're at the Miami Dolphins facility, and uh, somebody on our team, I'm not going to mention names, gave the top ten reasons that Miami would never win a Super Bowl. And he put them on this big grease board that was in the in the uh, locker room right there, in the main locker room. Ten reasons Miami will never win the Super Bowl. Do you want to know what the ten reasons yeah. were? Ten strip clubs the guy had been to. That was <laughs> that was the ten reasons. He's like, there are way too many distractions in Miami. Like, there's no way you can be good. Right. There's no way because, right. like, as soon as things get going, the, the, when the going, you know, the going gets tough, the tough get going. Well, when the going gets tough in Miami, you head to a strip club, apparently. <laughs> so, I mean, that was that was his this guy's reasoning. You know, we all had a good chuckle over it. But, but. like, I, there is there is something. I think there is something to those beautiful destinations that uh, that ease some of your pain as a player. So. You know, we're talking about these teams that that have some issues, but at least they are going to the playoffs or they have mm-hmm. a great chance to go to the playoffs. The Denver Broncos have been eliminated from playoff contention, and now they got a full-blown, five-alarm, quarterback-coach 
rift, apparently, between Sean Payton and Russell Wilson. Talk that Russell Wilson has been done dirty by Sean Mm. and that the Broncos are heading back into quarterback purgatory and that Sean Payton uh, has proven that he probably should have stayed on his uh, break from coaching uh, that he took uh, leaving leaving the Saints. Where where, where are you at with uh, the whole Russell Wilson, Sean Payton affair? Well, I mean... First off, let me just say this to all the guys that I have great respect for, all the analysts and players and you know former players that do what I do for a living. Um, I would say, what league did you play in? Like, are you are you so tainted by the the quarterback rules? Like, do you guys not live in the same locker room that the rest of us live in? Like, I've always felt this. Like, I've heard this all the time. Well, the quarterback, you can't have the quarterback looking over his shoulder. Why? So it's its okay for the other 52 guys in the locker room to have to look over their shoulder? If they don't play well, they could be benched, but not the quarterback? Why, is he that mentally soft that he can't have a competition? Like, what, what is that? Why is that? Why do, we, why do we have those rules for the quarterback? And then ultimately, like, how do we know like, the story was released that the Broncos came to Russell Wilson after the Kansas City game and said, hey, if you don't take this injury clause out of your contract, then we're going to bench you. Like, they threatened to bench him if he didn't take this clause out. Where, where did that story, where was that story leaked from? Russ's side. Of course. Yeah. You know, there's Russ's side, there's the Broncos' side, and somewhere in between, there's the truth. All right. What do you What do you think the truth is? I I think that I think the truth. Well, I don't know, but I know if George, you had to speculate. I know George Payton well enough, the general manager here, to know that George Payton is not the threatening type. Okay. So I mean, I would look at I would look at the situation here and say, listen. Here's what we're thinking, right? We're not. Like, we're not completely sure what we want to do in the future, where we want to go as an organization, and we would like you to waive this injury clause. We're not taking money away from you. Just waive the injury guarantee so that we can make a decision going forward. And economically, if you decide not to waive that, then we're going to have to make a decision whether we decide to bench you or not. Now, how is that not the same damn thing that every other player is going through? I've been benched. I know what it feels like to be benched. It's humiliating. But in the, ulti- in the end of the, of the day, it was probably the best thing that's, that's happened to me because I ha- actually looked at my own career and where I was and said, you know what, that, that's never, I'm never going to allow that to happen again. But, but, like, why is that not okay? You're not playing up to the standard that we expect a $245 million quarterback to play to. So we're going to move in a different direction. And, hey, to save you the humiliation of getting benched, if you'd waive this this clause in your contract, this guarantee, um, and then, you know, then we would play you further and and push that decision-making process down the road, kick the can down the road. Like, does that sound like a threat? Is that like, ooh, yeah, the Broncos are doing him dirty and they're dealing dirty. And, dude, that's the National Football League. 
Now, I played for the Washington Redskins. And going into week one, I was the starter for the Washington Redskins. This is what what year of your career? My sixth year in the career. Now, I was, to be fair to Washington, I had had injury issues, and I came off a season where uh, I spent the second half of the year on IR with something called Guillain-Barre, and I lost all the feel in my arms and legs. So I was coming back, and there were questions. There's no question that there were question marks about me whether I would be able to hold up physically and everything else, okay? But I've been to Pro Bowl for that organization. I had another invitation to a Pro Bowl that I had turned down because I had a surgery on my elbow and my knee. Uh, I had been a quote-unquote warrior. I had helped them win a world championship. I was a member of one of the best offensive lines in the history of the National Football League. 19 games, won a championship, and gave up nine total sacks, right? I'd been all, I'd done all these things. They called me up Friday after practice. This is after practice on a Friday. Week one. Week one. Very first week of the season. Walked up to the general manager wants to see you. Note in my locker after the practice. General manager would like to see you. Walked up to the general manager's office, had a new contract laying on the counter, and said, if you don't accept this pay cut, we are going to cut you after you start on Sunday. And, oh, by the way, you know, the rosters, everybody's rosters are full right now, so it's going to – you know, you're, you're going to have a tough time getting a job. Wow. Wow. Yikes. That's the NFL I grew up in. Yeah, it's a cutthroat business. I understand that. But if you're saying, hey, man, work with us because we're not sure what direction we're going in. The coach isn't sure what direction he wants to go in. And so waive this injury guarantee so we can continue to start you. If not, economically, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Is that a threat? Or is that just fact? Well, especially when you when you think about it, your your contract at the time was probably you know you're talking about the difference of a few hundred thousand dollars, right? Correct. With Russell Wilson, you're talking about the idea that if you don't waive that injury clause and something happens to you, the Broncos are automatically on the hook for like another forty yeah forty million dollars. So when you're talking about that kind of money at stake, right? Of course, it's going to be messy. Of course, there's going to be a lot of he said, she yeah, said. I, I, the, the whole the whole premise of the Broncos are doing him dirty, and the Broncos are like that's like that to me is that pump your brakes on that. That to me is ridiculous. By the way, like, and I'll use Dak Prescott as as a for instance, when he and the Cowboys were negotiating a contract, the contract, the terms of the contract were released, making him the highest paid quarterback. You know potentially the highest paid quarterback in, in the history of the league. And he turned down the contract offer. Who do you think re- released those terms? Was it the guy that was going to turn down the contract offer or was it the people that were offering yeah. the contract? Of course it was the Dallas Cowboys. Why? Because you win in the court of public opinion. Wow. Dak is selfish. Can you believe this guy? Who does he think he is? Like, Oh my God, I can't believe that. No, it was funny money. It was pushed back yeah. in the back. It wasn't real. The guarantees weren't where they needed to be as far as setting or creating a new market. And and so why do you do it? Well, you do it to get public pressure yeah. on the organization, or the organization did it to put public pressure on Dak Prescott. Like, that's how these things work. So the fact that that came out and, you know, and, and oh, what was me? I mean, I don't know. It just, they... They basically threatened me and, you know, in my ass. Yeah, but like, it worked. I'm, I'm, it worked. 
Oh, I yeah. I mean, the court of public opinion is oh, yeah. behind and then Ross. Every, and then every guy, every talking head gets on television and talks about, oh, this is wrong and it's wrong. I, I don't know. I, maybe the quarterbacks don't play in the same league that the rest of us play in. But every one of us, you know, some of us don't get the option to cut our, our pay. Some of us just get cut. Like I, I guarantee you I could find, I, I, could, I could get on my phone right now and find 12 guys who signed contracts last year that weren't quarterbacks, that signed long-term deals last year, four or five-year deals, who who going into, or in 2022, they signed those deals. In 2023, coming to the start of the, the new year in 2023, they got cut mm-hmm. or released or had to renegotiate. I guarantee I can find 12 of them right now. Yep. Why? Because that's the business of the National Football League. It doesn't bother you. It doesn't bother you when it's not a quarterback. It doesn't bother you when it's, you know, when it's just some grunt. Oh, but now, now this is where we, you know, plant our flag. Baloney. That's that's bullshit. It's bullshit. Sorry, you don't like it? Play better. Russ hasn't played well. He hasn't played well in two years. What do you want? What do you want? And don't tell me, oh, he's got the same statistics. I don't want to hear about him compared to Patrick Mahomes. There's not one person on the planet that wouldn't trade Patrick Mahomes straight across for Russ and laugh all the way when they did it. So don't give me this statistically he's the same. Don't. I don't want to hear it. Well, speaking of uh, statistics, uh, the numbers do not look good for me. As we have arrived at the final week, uh, here he comes. Handy dandy notebook. I just want to be accurate. Oh, I know you're all. That, about, I'm a stickler. You're a stickler for accuracy. for accuracy. So our picks <laughs> make we make three picks against the spread every single week, and going into the final week of the regular season. This is the regular season title. We still have the the playoffs to play for, but for the regular season title, you have a two and a half game lead over me. That is correct. Which means I have to go three and zero, oh, and you have to go zero oh and three. That again that's is my, correct. That's my playoff scenario. So I get to go first. I need three wins. So here's what I'm going to go with. I'm going to go with Detroit minus three over Minnesota. I know Detroit doesn't have a whole lot to play for, but I got to believe that they'll uh, they'll bounce back after mm-hmm. what happened last mm-hmm. week. New Orleans to win the with a chance to win the division. Mm-hmm. They're going to need some help, but minus three against Atlanta. And I'm going to take the Patriots in what will likely be Bill Parcells, uh, Bill Parcells, Bill Belichick's uh, swan song to beat the hated Jets minus two and a half. Okay, now you are 25 and 20. I am a commanding 27, 17, and 1. Yeah. Now, I thought long and hard about just picking opposite of you. <laughs> just, to, just to be a dick. <laughs> um, and I did. I thought about that, and I decided, you know what? I'm not going to do that. Well, do it. Because if I go 3-0, and you go 0-3. Job done. I win. Yeah, you're not going. You're not. I mean, the odds are you going 0-3, dude. You have been 1-2, and two and <laughs> it's just not been good. Um, all right, so here's where I'm going. I'm going Tampa Bay minus five and a half over Carolina. I'm going the Colts getting one against the Texans. And I'm going the Jags to win the division minus five and a half over Tennessee. Ooh, two big uh, road favorites. Big two numbers big there. Road favorites big that numbers. must win. win. Both of them win in your in scenario. True. Both of them win by Both a touchdown. Both of them have to win by a, a that's six two, points. That's 2-0. Oh. All right. That is. You just two. need one. I know. I just need one. You just one. need one. One to clinch. I'm getting greedy. Okay. I am getting greedy. So right. that, we'll see. that does that. That does that. Hey, uh, stay tuned for uh, the, the Leftovers podcast. I did Washington, San Francisco. I've got some really interesting things. 
Not so much about Washington because I think there's going to be a lot of changes there, obviously, but some really interesting things about the 49ers that I think you're going to want to hear. Stay tuned for that. For everybody involved in the Stink Truth Podcast, please subscribe. Um, and uh, and we thank you. Send us a note, whatever you uh, want to say, and uh, we'll try to get back to you as well on that. For Mike, I am Mark. We thank you, and we will talk to you later.